Uh, hello, everybody. This is the Casuals Only podcast, an extension of the YouTube channel and Facebook groups, Casual Experts. My name is Luke Sittenauer, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Rebecca Bacon. Hello. And uh, we're going to look at the second episode in the miniseries based on Stephen King novel, uh, The Stand. Do you have any open remarks, opening remarks uh, you want to say before we get dive into it? Not that I can think of. All right. Well, I just thought... Um, well, so what, basically what you said last week about how um, sort of all those people who were immune because they were um, sort of compassionate towards the, the sick. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking sort of the inverse of that was like all the sort of these like demented and insane people are also kind of immune. And that reminded right. me of um, of the Bible verse, um, Revelation 3, 3.16, sort of about how um, you're neither hot nor cold, so I spit you out kind of thing. <laughs> So everyone who's like in the middle just like died from this thing. And then you have like these really good people and these really bad people. That's really good. That's really good insight on that. I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're, you're absolutely right. Because as we see um, in part two, there are a lot of people who survived who are pretty obviously not the type of people that you would think um, are compassionate or, um, caring of other people they just they're just they're out for themselves pretty much so right good thought on that yep all right so um it opens up on in new york on june 30th with um larry he's walking about i thought this was funny he sees a dead horse and he says giddy up boy (laughs) i thought that was funny um then he's walking down the stairs he sees the the dead body of the doomsayer from last episode, and then he meets uh, Nadine Cross. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I thought she's kind of an interesting character. She's sort of like in the middle, kind of being pulled by both by both parties. I thought that yeah. was yeah. Sort of I I don't I don't know if she's um, necessarily being pulled in both directions. She actually doesn't make any reference to having seen any visions of Mother Abigail. But as it's shown later, um, she's actually the first person it's referenced has had an actual dream of the uh, the dark man, uh, specifically only of him. I think one or two of the others may have said that they'd seen him in their dreams, but they didn't say, or it wasn't at least shown, that it was exclusively a dream of him. But she's shown as the first person who um who is being drawn by him in her dreams yeah no that's that that's a good point um yeah um yeah and then the next scene they're in a restaurant and um yep they so um Larry asks how rare she wants the steak, and she says, "Just just bring it to a warm room. I had that was funny, yeah, and people but like then their meat pretty raw, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure, but then they hear gunshots, and they just leave it there, so that made me kind of mad, um, yeah, I was upset about that as well, like, okay, you put all this work into making the food, and then you guys just leave. Yeah. That happens so often in movies. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yep. And then, yeah, Nadine, uh, they leave the city. Um, wait, no, I think, hang on. 
no, this so this is a flashback to Nadine's dream. They're still in the restaurant, but kind of flashback. Right, right. But the yeah, because he was asking um, her if she'd had on had the dreams as well, and she says something to the effect of "I don't dream," and then it kind of goes into her memories of of um, the dark man calling to her. Yeah, yeah, and then. We go to uh, an Arizona maximum holding facility uh, where we meet up with Lloyd. He's the only survivor uh, in this, and it's implied that he's eating rats. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. I think that in the book, he was actually seen as a cannibal or of some sort because I had been looking at the synopsis, well, plot uh, synopsis of the book. And evidently, they referenced him as a cannibal. So I'm wondering if they tamed his character down for the miniseries and was just having him eat rats instead of, I don't know, other humans, which, you know, I, I appreciate as yeah. someone who's not really into hardcore uh, gore and stuff and things like that. But I still found that very interesting. Yeah, that is, that is interesting. And then we meet another one of the Dark Man's cronies in Indiana. This character is mm -hmm. named the Trash Can Man. He doesn't have it doesn't have a real name. It's a little weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then he starts hallucinating about people bullying him. But then, like, sort of the Dark Man's voice kind of clears, or sort of goes louder above all the other voices, and the other ones kind of die out. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about how he can um, sort of put the Trash Can Man and like. In his, in his inner circle sort of thing. Right. Yeah, and then uh, I think this is like an oil rig or something. I'm not really sure, but uh, Trash came in, blows it up. Yeah, um, I actually looked it up. It is very interesting because the only reference to it, uh, I think it's called um, Cheery Oil. And I looked it up, and it evidently doesn't exist because I looked it up, Cheery Oil, Indiana, and the only references to it online were of, the stand. So mm. this was made specifically for the story, I'm guessing. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So then we go to Nebraska. We meet up with Mother Abigail. She's sort of uh, talking to God about um, sort of the, the rats are in the corn. Uh, she's talking to God about how like she doesn't really want to do this, but she's going to have to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. I thought this this goes on for a couple minutes. I thought it was a pretty decent monologue. Yeah, I really liked it myself. Um, what I thought was interesting was that I don't think it's really realized, but this is actually the first time we see her outside of the dreams, mm. which I thought was really cool. And it seems that whenever we see her, whether inside or outside of dream, except for um when the people start finally arriving at her house all the other times you see her by herself she's kind of surrounded by this sunset it's very pink sky and and you get the feeling that it's very late in the evening around sunset um i think when the people start showing up it's a little bit earlier in the evening but I, I still I still feel like that has some significance. I'm I'm not sure what, but I don't think they'd have some character show up um, with the same lighting and the same time of day if it didn't have some sort of significance. 
Well, I think that normally sort of uh, like, um, like no one knows what God looks like, but when you mm -hmm. like visualize him in pictures, it's sort of like through the sun kind of setting or sort of through the clouds, like with the sunbeams kind of going through. Hmm. So maybe that's sort of representing um, God because she's talking to God in this scene. And right. so maybe that's kind of representing uh, his, him, I guess. That could be. Hmm. Yeah. And then the dark man shows up in the corn and she, he starts making her bleed. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that was yep. very interesting that he, he's telling to the effect of uh, your blood is in my hands. And he just clenches his hands and her, his hands start bleeding and then hers start bleeding. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It's trying to figure out, I mean, I mean, of course, the thing that was going through my mind was Job, you know, of in, in Job, um, the devil goes to God and mm -hmm. is able to have some amount of control over Job and is pretty much destroying his life, but only so much as, only so, um, only to the amount that God is letting Satan uh, destroy his life. Uh, he won't, he doesn't actually kill him or harm him or anything. He could just uh, torture him pretty much. And that brought that up in my mind. So, you, so you're basically saying that in, in this uh, metaphor, uh, Mother Abigail is Job? Yeah, of a sort. Yeah, that's, that's, what it, that's what came to mind, at least, was she was being tempted to um, curse God, I guess, for her, for her lot in life, for her situation. But I think as soon as this vision passed, because it it's then shown to be just a vision, because right. she, she, she you know, prays for God to take the vision away and he disappears. And I, I was looking and it looked like the blood disappeared as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then she said something to the effect of, I'll do your will, Lord, um, but I'm not going to like it. Um, yeah. There was one interesting thing I thought about her character. In this mini series, they keep referencing her as being 106, mm -hmm. but I believe in the book she's said to be 108. <laughs> Interesting. Um, not sure why they changed the age, but yeah, if they were going to change the age, it would be something more realistic. But 106 <laughs> isn't very realistic either. No, no, it's not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think another thing. Um, just one more thing on this scene. Yeah. Um, sort of going back to what you had said at the very beginning, where um, the people who survive are either really good or really bad. Um. One thing that she was talking about before the dark man showed up was um, she could feel, she said something about, I can feel them coming along. And she said something to the effect of some of them will be going on to him, I suppose, mm -hmm. uh, referencing the dark man. And I thought that was a good, um, a good reference that some of these people, you know, uh, despite being, Despite seeming like they'd be coming to Mother Abigail, there'll be some who will fall for the temptation that the dark man poses for them um, and to follow him rather than her. So I thought that was a good um, uh, sort of like a pre-glance at what's to come. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, the next scene is back in the jail, <clears throat> the jail cell with Lloyd. This is where we first get the, our first look at the full face of the dark man 
Yeah. Uh, I think he looks kind of like um, a mix between um, Mel Gibson and Uncle Joey from Full House. <laughs> that's a that's a really good pull. I I can see that now. <laughs> it's yeah. the it's the weird long hair, the longer hair, and the very oh is that seventies look or eighties look? Yeah, like early eighties. Yeah. Yeah. At, and uh, going along with first time we get a good look at his face, this is the first time we hear his name as well. Mm, yeah, Randall Flagg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, and also he, he quotes the, uh, the Rolling Stones. Yeah. yeah um, Sympathy for the Devil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that was a good reference as well. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Um, uh, he makes Lloyd uh, sort of his, his foreman, his number two mm-hmm. um, of his group. And then, um, so then he sort of has this magic rock and he turns it into a key. Um, I don't think this is ever really explained in this, in the show, what, what this is, or I don't, I don't even think it comes up ever again, maybe once or twice more, but it's sort of interesting. Yeah. I was the, when I, when I watched this the first time and the second time over, I that confused me as well. I suppose it's just one of his many powers because I mean it's shown in this scene that he can unlike unlock doors at will. Mm-hmm. So it's I guess it's just one of his powers that he has an object that he can turn into pretty much anything of a similar size. Yeah. And then we meet back up with um Larry and Nadine and in the Lincoln Tunnel in New York city uh, it's july 1st mm-hmm. um nadine says she doesn't want to go in there because she's afraid of the dark uh larry gets kind of upset and they they split up yeah um yes yeah, something so. i find interesting about her character um it's brought up when they're in the restaurant and then again here is that she's taking these pills which mm-hmm. she says are vitamin c but we're kind of getting this feeling that they're something a little bit stronger than vitamin c because um, in this scene, she goes to take some more, and he actually grabs it from her and tosses it toward the tunnel. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, yeah. Very curious to curious to know what exactly she was taking there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it ever says, but yeah, it's it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um. Then they yeah they split up, and then Larry goes into the tunnel. There's a bunch of cars and dead bodies and stuff, and he actually hallucinates one of them talking to him. Yeah. Um, yeah, and this causes him to drop his flashlight, so now he has to use the lighter. So, yeah, that confused me the first time I watched it, but the second time I watched it, I kind of, I assumed that he broke the lighter when it dropped because he didn't make any effort to go pick it back up again. Yeah, yeah. instead took out his lighter. <laughs> uh, yeah which he then, of course, dropped as well and didn't make any effort to pick that up either. Right. I, th- I felt right. like they were trying to push the feeling that he was just going to be walking around in the dark. I, I, I felt like they were just pushing that a little bit too hard. <laughs> right, right. Anyways. And then, and then he hears noises, so he shoots at it, but it's Nadine. And <laughs> I think it's sort of implied that a bullet kind of went past her head. Mm-hmm. She says this, this really weird quote. She says, I felt the wind. One came so close. Chips, um, the tile on my face. I think I, I cut my face. I'm not really yeah. sure what that means. She seemed to go but. a little crazy when they were in the tunnel. And she, 
mm-hmm. she'd made reference to that before going in when she'd been so indignant not to go in. She said something like the effect of, I, I can't go in, I can't go in, uh, I'll go crazy. And mm. she did seem pretty crazy when she went in, so. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. That was quite odd. Um, and then they, they make it out. Larry kisses the ground. <laughs> um, yeah. And then they go to Attleboro, Massachusetts. No, no, they don't go. We cut to Attleboro, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. uh, July 1st. Um, with um, We meet Glenn Berkman and his dog, Kojak, I think his dog's name is. Yes, Kojak, which I thought was really interesting. They used that name because Stephen King has another book called Cujo about the mm-hmm. dog, which is not the same. And it's right. not the only... Uh, the only way it's similar is sounds a bit similar, which I mm-hmm. thought was interesting because I was wondering if he was making a little bit of a reference to that. Not the same type of dog either, but yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, so we meet up. Stu's meets Glenn and his dog. No, yeah, Glenn and his dog, mm-hmm. and then they talk for a bit, and then. Did you know that um, when? They introduce Glenn, and he's sitting there painting. He's actually singing Larry's song, Larry Underwood's song from uh, that they had referenced earlier oh. uh, when they first introduced him, because um, it had cut to a radio show, and the guy presented the song, and it started playing, and then it cut to Larry. So it came up. Um, I don't. I didn't write down the name of the song, but I still felt thought that was kind of funny that they um, were discussing Larry and then they cut to Glenn singing Larry's song. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's interesting because um, back when we first meet the trash can man, he's also singing the same song. Really? Yeah. I didn't catch it. I heard him singing a song, but I didn't catch that he was singing that song. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And so now we go to Pennsylvania, July 2nd. Larry and Nadine are in a tent. Um, yeah. Um, and then Larry has a dream about, um, meeting mother Abigail. And like I said, last time, um, the, the corn changes different colors mm-hmm. for each person. And so I don't know what that means, but Larry's corn is green. So uh, yeah, I don't know what that means. But. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, I, I would like to know the significance behind that, but I haven't seen anything yet. Uh, connecting uh, the characters to the colors, but it's a good catch. Mm-hmm. And then while we see Larry dreaming about Mother Abigail, we pan over to Nadine and she's dreaming about the dark man. Mm-hmm. Um, and he tells her to leave Larry. And then so she does and she leaves a note. And she says basically on the note that um, I can't be with you anymore, but I did have dreams, basically, is what she said. Yeah, basically, because she'd been denying it all along. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And then um, May, Oklahoma, on July 4th, we meet up back up with Nick again. Um, there's a ton of mannequins, and then this <laughs> this guy jumps out, because he, he, Nick can't hear, so he didn't know he was there, and he jumps right. out. Um, his name is Tom Cullen. Mm-hmm. He can't read. He can't drive. And I don't know. He might have some kind of a mental illness. It doesn't really say. Yeah. Um, Nick had referenced it later when he was introducing him. 
um, he'd said something about him being mildly retarded, which, mm-hmm. you know, is the plain and simple phrasing for it. But, you know, in this day and age, it'd be considered rude. Right. Um, but that's basically what it is, is that um, he just has a difficulty. Um, he, he pretty much has a mind like a child mm-hmm. is the most basic way of putting it. Um, but I think I read somewhere that he is seen differently in the book where he has these phases that he actually had actually is really smart and um oh i can't remember exactly what it was saying but um he was a key point in planning um planning some things in like the third or fourth part Mm-hmm. what would be the sort of fourth part of the miniseries. Um, but their, um, their plots against Randall Flagg. And right. he, yeah, so he had pretty much had the side of him, which was totally normal, um, good brain working. I, I don't know. It's, but I, I found that interesting that they didn't have that, at least not yet, referenced here in um the mini series yeah it's interesting um and then we meet back up with Stu. i think for the first time in this episode uh he's dreaming about mother abigail and i think last time his his corner was orange but it's green now again same as larry so i don't know what the deal with that is Mm. but basically she says in this dream that they're going if you can't meet up with them in Hemingford home in Nebraska, I think. They're just gonna go to Boulder, Colorado mm-hmm. to meet them there. And then Stu's dream changes to sort of a hospital where it's like a that sort of uh like a scary hospital. Right, like the one he'd been in before. Right. Right. The and then place in Virginia. Yeah. And then um I I, I think it was interesting because I, I made a note that Stu tends to always get chased in his dreams by mm. the dark man. Um, and I wondered if that's because Flag saw him as a threat of some sort. So he was trying to scare him off from going to see her, going to see Mother Abigail. So I, I, I don't know. And, um, we see the rats again in this scene mm-hmm. um, yeah. before he leaves the cornfield and transfers over to the hospital and they're kind of surrounding his legs. And this is when it kind of hit me that um, the rats are kind of seen as plague carriers or illness carriers, carriers mm. of disease and such. And mother Abigail had said something before when she originally saw them was uh, the rats, um, rats belong to him or something. Yeah. Um, which I thought was another good um, reference to Randall Flagg being seen as death. Um, well, that was interesting. Yeah, that, that is interesting. Uh, like, because the very first episode opened with that one verse about uh, the pale rider and the carrier mm-hmm. pestilence, and that's basically what a rat is. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, so Stu kind of hangs out at Glenn's house. Uh, Harold and Fran pull up on their motorcycles. <laughs> um, Gosh, I really wanted to like Harold in this series, but 
yeah. that jacket and those pants he wore <laughs> and that attitude really ruined it for me. <laughs> yeah, I think that was intentional. I think like he's supposed to be overcompensating yeah. to try to impress Fran. Yeah, and it, it's funny because I, in my uh, search of information of the book versus um, the miniseries, I think it says that he's a um, high school student and she's a college mm. student at this time. So just some little bit of an idea of the age there of the two of them. And he's, <laughs> he, when he pulls up on the motorcycle, he's got his hair all greased back and he's yeah. trying very hard to look cool and uh, going a bit overboard on that. Yeah, right. I think. Uh, I don't remember, but I think when they're first introduced in the first episode, was there a reference to their ages? I think there there might have been something. Um, she had I, said I something remember. to him about, um, I hope you should find someone your own age. That mm. was that was all that was said about that. I think, but okay, yeah, that kind of gave right. a kind of a hint that they were a few years off. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and so, um, when they meet up with Glenn and Stu, Fran wants to go to Nebraska, but, uh, Harold still wants to go to Vermont, mm -hmm. um, which is where Stu came from, and so Stu basically takes Harold aside and says, look, there's, there's not really anything you want to see there, we can go there, and they, they do, um, yeah. eventually go there, but he's basically like, yeah, there's not a whole lot there to really look at. I found it very interesting that, um, I didn't write it down, but this is just, passing thought about Harold and Stu and Fran where Stu said something to Harold to kind of get him to settle down that oh I'm not I'm not after your girl or anything and isn't that kind of proven wrong in the future yeah I think in the very beginning of the third episode they actually are together yeah because I'd seen something about when I was reading book synopsis of them actually getting together at the end, Stu and Fran getting together at the end. And mm. um, I don't know if there's an equivalent to marriage in the post-apocalyptic world, um, but right. get married and have kids basically. I don't know. So I thought that was very funny that they um, brought that up, um, that Stu wasn't after her <laughs> just to, right. just to satiate uh, Harold's, uh, dislike of stew <laughs> yeah and then we meet back up with um nick and tom they're in pratt kansas on july 8th and uh, while they're there tom gets sick and so nick pulls up to a drugstore and while he's in there he meets a character named Ju julie lowry something like that yeah yeah played by shawnee smith and i don't know this might not mean anything to you but she was um sort of a main character in some of the Saw movies, which I thought was interesting. Really? Huh. Yeah. The same actress, not the same interesting. character. Interesting. Right, right. No, that would be, that'd yeah. be way more <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. still good. Yeah. Huh. Um, yeah, I, I like this scene a lot. I think it's very, um, just like, like a pre kind of Harley Quinn type character. <gasps> yes. Yeah. That's, that's pretty good. It's pretty good uh, reference there. Um, she's, yeah, she's, 
her character she played her character very well i think because her character mm-hmm. is absolutely crazy i starved for human interaction and i don't know if she was this way beforehand but uh i don't know um she, she's quite an interesting character though yeah there's one there's one interaction that i love so much i wrote it down she says do all deaf mutes mutes have such big guns because there's actually a gun in his pocket and then tom nods and then she's like I love they that. do <laughs> i love that kind of little little smirk he gave and then like tiny little nod it's like yeah. wow i can't believe he's playing along with this <laughs> yeah that's very uh, fun i found interesting about this uh scene when tom is on um the uh, there's a bench that he's kind of crumpled up on from yeah uh stomach pains and it actually has an ad on it it's one of those old old uh seats that would have an ad across it for a product mm-hmm. or something um and it's actually an ad for flu buddy which they reference at the beginning of the series yeah. and it says mm-hmm. selling to, um now in children's form or something which I thought was interesting because it was um, Tom sitting on this bench and he's kind of very childlike except in, uh, except in looks and height, of course. Um, but he's got like face of a child and the mind of a child and all that. And he's on this bench with an ad for children's flu buddy. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And then so he, oh, Nick tries to take the medicine out to tom but he can't hear but behind him um julie's telling uh uh tom that it's poison Mm -hmm. and um yeah and then so he starts telling nick like oh my dad said not to drink poison and nick doesn't really get it and then um he turns around and then julie's like yeah don't do it his daddy said no don't do it oh my gosh that's really funny. I love that interaction with them though, because she just gets so wound up and absolutely crazy that he slaps her. I, I mean, I don't recommend people going around and doing this to crazy people, but in this situation, I was even cheering him on, like, "Oh my gosh, would somebody please just slap her? She's yeah. so annoying." And then he did, and I was like, well, "I don't condone violence with men against women or anything, but..." I felt it was quite apt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And then, yeah, after he slaps her, she throws her, her shoe at him, and then she <laughs> runs away. And then as Nick and Tom are running away, she goes up to, like, the top floor of one of a building, and she starts shooting at them with, like, I don't know what kind of gun it is, but it's, like, a big gun, like a rifle yeah, or shotgun. I'm, yeah, something like a shotgun. It was pretty loud. Um, yeah. But I think, the, I think the store was, like, a... Um, not hardwood, not hard, not hardware store, but like a, um, oh, what's it called when they deal with outdoor stuff? Like a tractor supply store? Yeah, sort of like that, but um, sort of like a, what would we have an equivalent, like a Gander Mountain, um, a store that mm. would have supply guns and... Um, like a surplus store? Sort of like that, yeah. I don't remember what the storefront said, but... I was confused how she got a gun in the first place. And then the second time I watched it, I saw the storefront had the, the, the store was one of those types that you could get all sorts of stuff for um, outdoor supplies. And it's one of those things where I was like, oh, okay, well they probably are selling 
guns in the store and she got her hands on one and somehow figured out how to use it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, so they bike away and then they meet up. They see a truck. Um, the man driving the truck's name is Ralph. Uh, and then this is the first time, because Tom can't read, this is the first time that Tom actually knows Nick's name. He writes yeah. it down and then the, Ralph reads it to him. I thought and that then, was nice because I I don't think I'd I don't think I'd realized until this point that Tom didn't know Nick's name until they actually said it. And I was like, well, yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, that's yeah. glad that finally got figured out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we cut to the, near Des Moines, Iowa, July July eleventh. Uh, Larry is just kind of sitting on a car playing his guitar, and then. <laughs> A character named Lucy walks up with this child that's not hers. She just kind of met him at a grocery store, I think. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, I don't even think we know the kid's name, but he's just kind of there. I'm not even sure if Lucy knows his name because he doesn't say anything in this scene. So I was kind of getting the idea because she said something about uh, when she met him, he was nearly feral. So... Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that he was talking much. Um, so she right. may not have even known his name. Yeah. And um, we see behind them that it, the city Des Moines is on fire. And then we cut mm-hmm. to the trash can man. So I guess it's kind of implied that he might have done it because uh, Lucy yeah. said that, this, that it was likely set on fire by somebody. Yeah. And he's, uh, Larry said something to the effect of, um, I don't know, who would ever set Des Moines on fire? <laughs> and then it cuts the trash trash man <laughs> right yeah yeah and then um yeah so now we go to Hemingford home uh july 15th uh nebraska mother abigail sets up the table and people start uh showing up and it said that nick knew exactly how to get there he didn't get a, a single turn wrong mm-hmm. yeah so i thought that was kind of interesting um <laughs> and we meet these new characters um we have they're um, also in the car with, with Ralph. Um, it's a mother-daughter, father trio. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we know the father or daughter's name, but the mom's name is Susan. Uh, it's either, I think that sounds about right, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I don't remember them ever saying the father or daughter's name. Uh, Mother Abigail would just call the girl um, the tot, I think. <laughs> mm. Interesting. Oh. Um, yeah and then so they tell Mother Abigail about the dreams and she seems surprised so I thought that was kind of interesting that she didn't even know that they were having dreams of her (laughs) yeah that was interesting Um, eventually trying to figure figure out how exactly that worked but um, you know she's making reference to you know God's planning all this stuff out and she's just following God's will and he's he's telling her all the stuff he wants for her to do. So, I mean, I suppose, um, <laughs> still, I think that's very interesting that she didn't even know they were having dreams of hers, even though she was talking to them in the dreams and telling them all sorts of information. Right. Makes sense why each of the dreams were like a repeat of the other though. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That was interesting. Um, yeah. So they, um, they basically have dinner and she's talking about how they're just going to kind of go to Colorado and kind of snowball, mm-hmm. uh, snowball there. Yeah. Um, I thought it was very interesting in this scene. Um, 
it's finally brought up that because I I don't want to assume or anything, but it's making it feel like all these people, you know, all these nice, kind-hearted people are, you know, in some capacity believe in God. And it's referenced, mm. it's, it's finally spoken aloud in this scene because um, Mother Abigail's talking all about God and how he has plans for them and she's just following his plans. And it's finally brought up that Nick doesn't actually believe in God Right, and she she bursts out laughing, and um, she she said something to the effect of, uh, "It doesn't matter if you don't believe in him; he believes in you." And I, I thought that was really cool—a really cool plot point to bring up because, you know, even if even if you don't believe in him, he's, God still uses all sorts of people to carry out His will, even if you know even if they don't believe in him like Nick. So I, right. I, I thought right. that was a really interesting point. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is, that was interesting. Um, then they pack up and start leaving to Boulder. And there's just this one thing that mother Abigail says, that's just so weird to me. Mm-hmm. She says, um, it's like a, like a vermin, like a ver- vermin being moved out of a boxcar by a railroad dick. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what that means. <laughs> No, either. um, (laughs) It's just a weird thing that she said. Yeah, probably some southern phrase that us Midwesterners don't understand. (laughs) Right, right. Um, Now we go to to Las Vegas, Nevada, July 16th. Trash can man shows up and he just, first thing he does, he jumps right into a fountain. Um, That's what I'd do too if I was wandering Nevada with no water to drink and getting burned alive under the sun <laughs> yeah and it's so th- there's this really big building it's called the grand plaza is that a, is that a real place in in vegas do you know i don't know but i would not be surprised yeah what's it called yeah. uh grand plaza the grand plaza um Probably is. I th- oh yeah, I think so. Is it really tall? Well, that's not saying very much for a building yeah. in <laughs> in Las Vegas. Yes, it seems to be a real place. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of where Randall Flagg is sort of his his HQ, um, is sort of in this this building. And mm-hmm. um, anyway, so Trash Can Man gets in there. And he basically falls asleep on a blackjack blackjack table, <laughs> and. Um, sort of the other higher ups in uh, Randall Flagg's circle just kind of watch him. Um, I don't know if we've met any of the other characters, but Lloyd's uh, sort of there too. Yeah, I didn't recognize any of the others. Yeah. And then um, Mother Abigail's group arrives in Colorado on July 17th. And then they sort of, um, the little girl points out there's like a parade coming and there's a whole bunch of motorcycles and trucks that show up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting because that's not uh, Fran and Stu are not, and their group's still on their way from uh, the Northeast. They, they're not part of that group. Interesting. We meet back up with them in part three, they still haven't arrived yet. Okay, okay. Yeah, that is interesting because it's sort of following along with all of these people. And so then this new group wouldn't be anybody that we even know. Right. It would just kind of tie it all together if, you know, we come back in part three and there's, hundreds of people all met up with 
Mother Abigail in Boulder, it would make sense. So, yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just kind of well, points out that there's so, so very many more people out there who have been having these dreams. Yeah. And um, so that's the end of the episode. But I, there's something I found on Reddit that I thought was interesting. Um, not necessarily the miniseries, but regarding the book, because it only takes place in America. Mm -hmm. So, like, what happened to the people in, like, Australia or China? Like, if they have these dreams and they can't really do anything <laughs> about it. Interesting. So, that is a really good point. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Um, one thing I wanted to say, and this isn't plot-wise, really. It's more um, character portrayal in the series. Um, so Nick Andros, this might yeah. be a little, this might be something a little negative I have to say about it, but Nick Andros is deaf and mute. Mm -hmm. um, he can't hear and he can't talk. So the only way he can tell that the, that other people are talking um, is by reading lips. So you know right. that's given that he has to be looking at the person to be able to read their lips when they're talking to be able to even understand what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And there are so many times where the actor is not looking at the person talking in so right. many conversations and it's just kind of assumed that he hears them because mm -hmm. um, these are like conversations why would if you if you can't hear somebody and your only way of being able to hear them is by looking at them then why would you look away in the middle of a conversation right and yeah. it happens too many times for it to just be I, I don't know. It probably is just accidental. It, it probably is just um, the fault of the actor on that point. I had heard mm -hmm. somebody say something to the extent of, oh, why didn't they have a deaf mute person play um, the character and be able to represent that community? And, and I like the actor. I do like the actor. He's a very yeah. good actor. Um, he's very good at portraying a deaf mute. He's he has a lot of personality even without being able to talk. Yeah. And, but I can understand why somebody would say that as well, not just to represent the community, but also to accurately portray the character to the extent right. that they're actually listening to the person talking. Yeah. Um, actually in the, the new series, the character, to, the actor to play Nick is actually, I think at least deaf. I don't know about mute, but the actor is, actually is deaf. Yeah. And you're right, because it's sort of like, um, I was just watching the, A Quiet Place, where it's like the, the character is actually, the actor is actually deaf, and so they know how to communicate these sort of emotions um, without mm -hmm. being able to hear. Yeah, I, I think that really pushes somebody as an actor if they can only communicate with their face and their hands. Right. Because you get a whole other level of personality with facial expressions. You really do. Yeah. So. But yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's really the only thing that has been bugging me about, you know, big thing, big thing that's been bugging me. Right. But I, it's completely understandable. It's an old, older series and these smaller things are more likely to be overlooked and for, um, for some dramatic staring off in the distance. I don't know. But it will be very interesting then to see um, in this newer, newer version of it how um, I'll have to look into it to see if he is deaf or deaf and mute. 
but to see how this other actor portrays it um to see if he is actually watching people throughout their conversation yeah yeah anyways yep well that basically sums it up do you have anything else i think we basically shared our final thoughts already but is there anything more you want to say about it uh nope i don't think so that about covers it that was a it was an episode that didn't really have too much deep content in it unlike the first unlike the first yeah. part right but still some good substance to it mm-hmm. yeah this this episode is more about just kind of them kind of migrating to their their sides and there's not a whole lot mm-hmm. of stuff going on yep uh all right so that's that's basically it um if you have any questions you could uh, message me on instagram at the uh, underscore lkx uh you could join our facebook group casual experts and make sure to check out our youtube channel uh casual experts also um that's everything i had do you need to add anything or you all set nope i'm all good all right Uh, until next time i'll see you later bye bye